0: Romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Would that we all lived in some mythic story. Would that we lived in a story or in a narrative that was so clearly mythical or so clearly dramatic that we would wake up in that way. Our lives are not punctuated at least mine isn't, know, maybe yours is, with a soundtrack. How many times do people listen to music and think to themselves, wow, I wish that I felt this way during the day as I walked around the city, the way that this music is making me feel now? People wonder to themselves, like, wow, where's the soundtrack? And I think that my question, the question that I have, when I ask myself that question is, is there an implicate reality to my explicate experience? I walk around all day and I'm thinking, oh, I'm just it's another September day in New York, 2019. Nothing feels particularly dramatic. It almost feels like we need hindsight or some kind of retrospective to think of our lives and feel into them in the mythic and the profound way that it is. Otherwise, it's just a yawn. Like, oh, here I am. It's another Tuesday morning. There's something profoundly disconnected between our lives prospectively and in the moment and the way that we retrospectively, nostalgically experience them. Would that all of us were playwrights or screenwriters. I don't have the, you know, Ariel, neither one of us has, has the joy of living or maybe the existential exhaustion of living with someone who is a playwright. For whom every story is a story. You don't. Every here knows Orr, or a little guy, three years old. So one of the things about him that from the beginning, I mean, literally, like from the moment that he began speaking, he used to say, "Tell me a story." And inevitably, you know, in the beginning, it was kind of stories, but then very quickly it became obvious that anything, everything, was a. Story. Story. Abba, tell me the story. Which one? Just the one that just happened. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Literally. Like, Abba, tell me the ice skating story. We had just gone ice skating. I said, okay. We got in the car. And we drove a long way. We were in Florida. And we looked for an ice skating ring Because you wanted to ice skate. And he's wrapped. <clears throat> it just happened to him. He's wrapped. And then what happened? Well, or we were there and then we stopped. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I used to think I'm not going to be creative enough to, you know, no, you don't have creativity. You just have to recount the last 10 minutes and it's a story. <clears throat> Tell me the story. And if you do attend and, or officiate, if you're lucky enough, to attend enough really good funerals, funerals that were rich and where the life led was full, more often than not, the stories that are told are not dramatic stories. Or at least they are in being told, but maybe for the person living them, they weren't. A moment that was just a choice becomes pivotal in their story. And what's so profoundly important about our sacred literature or literature in general is that it actually stops for a moment and looks and constructs a story that probably wasn't like my son Or's story, but because of... The ability to construct it, it teaches us a lesson that we might then use in our lives in our day-to-day narration or our day-to-day moments to stop and pause and say, what's the soundtrack here? What's happening here? And obviously, some moments lift up higher than other moments in our lives. But I was telling Tal a story last night. He said, Abba, come in and read the story to me. So I read the story to him, and of course, I know this story. I want to share this story with you as a way to frame a voice that I feel needs to be awakened as we now prepare ourselves for the belonging of the shofar. People have heard of Chelm, I'm sure. The wise men of Chelm were anything but wise, but they were. In fact, the fools of the village, of course, the whole village were full of fools. They imagined once, the story tells, that um, someone had spied the moon reflected in a barrel of water so the people of Chelm... Imagine that it had fallen into the barrel. And so they shut it so that it wouldn't get out. And then, of course, in the morning, when it was no longer there, they thought someone had stolen the moon, and they sent for the police. These are the kinds of moments in Chelm. <laughs> and one story that I grew up with, and that is retold here, this is the original, but I heard it differently, but here's Isaac Bosheba singer, Of all the fools in Chelm, the most famous fools were the seven elders. That's already a moment. (laughs) They were the oldest and the greatest of all the fools, and so they ruled in Chelm. They had long white beards and high foreheads from too much thinking. And once, as Hanukkah began one evening, the snow fell all night, and it covered all of Chelm like a silver tablecloth. The moon shone and the stars twinkled and the snow shimmered like pearls and diamonds. That evening, the seven elders were sitting and pondering, wrinkling their foreheads. The village was in need of money and they didn't know where to get it and suddenly the oldest of the fools said, his name was Gronum the fool, the snow is silver I see pearls in the snow, another shouted. I see diamonds, the third one called out. It became clear to the elders of Chelm that a treasure had fallen from the sky. But soon they began to worry. The people of Chelm liked it to go walking. Wouldn't that trample the treasure? If people walked on the treasure? Yes, it would. So they put their heads together, and silly Tudrus had an idea. Let's send a messenger to knock on all the windows and let all the people know that they must remain in their homes until all the silver and all the pearls and all the diamonds had been safely gathered up. They thought, wow, that's good. What an idea. That's a solution. There it is. They rubbed their hands together in approval. But then dopey Likish called out in consternation. But what about the messenger? Won't the messenger too trample on the treasure? The elders realized, you know, Dopey was right. (laughs) They wrinkled their high foreheads, and in an effort to solve the problem, they arrived. I've got it, I've got it, said Schmerl the ox. The messenger must not go on foot, he must be carried (laughs) on a table. so that his feet will not tread on the precious snow. Oh, they, they were so delighted. Oh. <laughs> they sent to the kitchen Gimbal, the, the errand boy. They got a table out. Before they knew it, they had four carriers. There was Tritel, <laughs> beryl, yokel, and yontel. And so it went. And when the sun came up the next morning, Of course, they looked out the window and they saw that their treasure had been trampled upon. They woke up and they looked and they saw that there was no way. They clutched their white beards, they admitted that they had made a mistake. But what they then came with us, they said, maybe we made a mistake, and next year, we should appoint four others to carry the four that were carrying the one. (laughs) What is this a soundtrack to in our lives? How is this? A story that sets to music the banality of our day-to-day living, of the situations that we might find ourselves in in the coming year. How is this story of the trampled snow and the treasure that must not be touched? Wisdom for me, for you, in the same way that we read about our forefather Abraham. or one insight from the Abraham story helps me have an insight into the Helm story. As Larry Schwartz every year sacredly and beautifully uplifts this reading and focuses on this word, achar nechaz basvach, bikarnav. That the the shofar that we will blow in a moment, the source of that shofar, at least in many, many traditions, is none other than the ram's horn that was caught in the thicket. the ram that was caught in the thicket that gave redemption, that gave liberation, that was a miracle of miracles for Abraham. It was achar, it was, as Larry rendered beautifully, it was, in hindsight, it was behind him, it was achar, achar, it was other, and it was caught basvach, in the thicket, in the, the Hebrew word from Sibuch, which means something that is complicated, some place where we get caught. This ancient story of someone whose most prized relationship was saved because he saw something that was other, that was caught in a thicket, and that that's the music that we blow. As if to remind each and every one of us at this moment that if there's something in your life that is important to you, something in your life that is so valuable, something to you that is so precious, so important, so vital, so essential to who you are, the only way to save that is a willingness to see what you, at this moment, don't see. And that it can't be other than messy. Messy. I can only imagine Abraham. Where's there a thicket here? We need some kind of thicket. Here, this'll do. <laughs> like in there there's a shofar. Now imagine that it's full of thorns. Imagine in there there's the potential that you might be put on the outside. Maybe if you put your hand in, it's gonna it's gonna have Scratches on it. Maybe if you put your hand in there to find the thing that will save your life, you will not leave unscathed. Maybe there's no way to wake the people up in the town without trampling the treasure. Maybe there's no way. Maybe there's no way to be true and to be honest without maybe losing a friend. Or two. Maybe some people from the community will leave. Maybe some people will call you a Zionist racist. Maybe some people will call you... Maybe some people will say that you... You're making a mess. You're stirring the waters. You're speaking the truth. Maybe... Your partner will say to you the thing that you don't want to hear. Yeah, I love that you're supporting our family at the level of comfort that we want, but I would rather have you be home for dinner every night. Man, I don't want to hear that. What do you mean? I'm working for my family. I'm working for my fa- I'm working. All oh, the wise men of Chelm, they're so smart. Maybe if we don't walk on the snow, we can find a way to extract its treasures. But that's the rub. You can't have the diamonds. You can't have the sheen. You can't have the shimmer if you're not willing and sometimes have to destroy or hurt or make it less than perfect. It's, it can't happen. We can't blow the shofar unless we notice the place that it's caught in the thicket. And so we have to first see it, notice it. And then we have to be willing to get into the sibuch, into the complicated place that the shofar invites us into. We spoke about on Sunday night awakening the voice because when we hear God's voice, we want to run and hide. When we hear the voice of conscience, we want to run and hide. God says, where are you? We say, uh, I was hiding, but that's good. Saying you're hiding is a good thing. And then along comes the divine and says to us, as Rabbi Koleressa said yesterday, we are the voices of the children, the voices of the ones who are on the margins that we have to lift up, awaken those voices. Then we heard the powerful Torah, this afternoon yesterday from Rabbi Rivera about Chana and the cries of Chana, and then we heard of awakening our ability to hold multiple voices and to take a thread of love and weave it together, sometimes inaudibly, but it is tikvah, it is hope, ha-tikvah, that has held our people for 5,000 years, hope that is able to bridge the tears that Rav Kook so beautifully spoke about yesterday. And now this morning, again, Rabbi Kohler S. is speaking to us, again from the place of awakening the voice of tenderness. And now, right before we rise to blow Shofar, to ask us, to ask me, to ask one another, what in your life is so pristine and shining that you would rather not step in it so that you don't have to wake up. And walk down the street and just to highlight my sense of this moment being so ordinary, but it could be the most super ordinary. Sometimes listening to a soundtrack from the greatest showman that people send me Or some other music that says to me, this moment, this moment, this choice, this relationship, this face, this turn, turn to that which is complicated, turn to that which is what we want to preserve, but that can't be preserved in the way that we thought it could be. We need to stir the waters. We need to trouble them. Trouble the waters of assumptions of privilege and awaken our capacity to listen to the deep, deep, silent, but still voice of the women this year who had the courage to step forward and complicate our constructions around power and Patriarchy. To those who step forward this year and will continue to step forward to trouble the waters, to trample the pristine snow of a world where we just move through. This instrument of troubling, this instrument called the shofar is taken from the place that saved Abraham's life. It might save ours too. So let me end with a story that I think my son, Or would appreciate. Tell me the story, Abba. Tell me the story. Tell me the story. Okay, I'll tell you the story. One day, I was walking down the street. And everything in me wanted to go to the place where things were safe where things were familiar. Everything in me wanted to imagine snow with no footsteps in it. But this time, I didn't decide to hire anybody. I walked myself, and I knew full well that the only way to wake up and to wake the town up is to put footsteps in the snow. That's the only way that we're going to gather its diamonds. It's the only way that we're going to find a way forward. Once upon a time, there was a community called Romamu, and at 1140, the rabbi said, Would you please rise for the shofar blowing?